We've been talking about what it means to love your neighbor. Jesus uh, obviously affirmed the, the lawyer who came to him and said elsewhere as well that the law, God's kind of intention for how his people should function, really can be summed up in the two statements, love God and love your neighbor. Love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. And in these two things, can you for the fullness of the way God has created us to live and what he's created us to value. And so as we've been kind of taking this apart, we've looked at some of the, the things that keep us from loving our neighbor. And now we want to start to talk a little bit about some practical ways that we really can lean in to loving our neighbor. And I'm convinced that perhaps one of, if not the greatest way that you can love your neighbor is to listen to them. That one of the greatest, if not the greatest, ways that you can love your neighbor is to listen to them. Because when we listen to someone, we are giving affirmation to them. We are valuing them. Think about the last time that you were really listened to and how it made you feel by a colleague or by a supervisor, by your spouse, by a parent, by a brother or a sister, by a, a friend, when someone really took the time to hear what you had to say, or even when someone paused enough to greet you and affirm you along the way. It fills us up when someone listens to us. I remember not that long ago, my two boys, Jackson and Tyler, were in a bit of a scuffle as is common in our house uh, from time to time. And I can't even remember what the issue is over, but I have kind of this phrase that I am prone to say to them, which is, just let it go. Can you just let it go? Right? We talk a lot in our home. The proverb says, it's, it's a man's glory. It's to a man's glory to overlook an offense. Can you just let it go? It's to your glory to just let it go. Uh, and they're, they're getting better and better and better at this. But in this one particular time, for whatever reason, Jackson was struggling to really just let it go. And, and I was getting frustrated with him. And so my parental, you know, don't follow this, but my parental methodology was to say, let it go louder and louder and louder, right? Because <laughs> I'm figuring at some point he's got to just, you know, believe what I'm saying. And, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And then, then eventually as, as I paused and allow Jackson to share with me what was going on in his heart, what I began to realize was he wasn't interested in convincing me that he was right and Tyler was wrong. He just needed to hear from me. He needed to receive from me the value of being listened to. And once that had occurred, he could let it go and could move on. Why? Because when we listen to someone, we are practically and actively loving them. One author said it this way, that when we listen, we invite another person to exist. When we listen, we invite another person to exist. If this is true, then why are we not so good at listening? Ever ask that question of yourself? Why are we actually not really good listeners? And I understand it's a scale. Some are much better listeners than others. I happen to be, forgive me for this, on the downside of being a good listener. I'm, I'm not so great at it so often. And so I ask myself, what makes us bad listeners or what makes us struggle to listen? And I think there are a couple things 
at play in this reality, right? So James, who is the brother of Jesus, one of the chief leaders in the Jerusalem church, when he writes his letter, he says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons he said that is because the church is bad at that. And he needed to remind us that. I think for some reason there is an overemphasis or a overvaluing in Christian culture or in the church towards speaking as opposed to listening. Speaking is not bad, and certainly we are called to be people who are ready to give defense for the faith that we have, who are ready to speak about who Jesus is. Speaking is good, but for some reason, there's, a, there's this push towards speaking, and in so doing, a devaluing of listening, be it from guilt that we need to do something, be it from zeal or passion in our Christian faith, be it from the culture from which we come. And I'm so convicted by a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who really has written like a three or four paragraph section in his fantastic little book, Life Together, on what he calls the ministry of listening. For those of you who aren't familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he had a lot to say. Like he spoke, right? He spoke against Nazi Germany. He was a German pastor who was in studying in New York and willfully went back to Germany so he could be with his people and oppose the Nazi uh, realities, even when many Christians kept quiet. He knew what it was like to speak, and he was right in speaking. But he said this, that for some reason, Christians feel like the only spiritual service they have to render or to offer is to speak. When in fact, much of the world is actually looking for people who will listen, and they don't find in Christians people who are poised to do so. We'll set aside religion or Christianity just for a minute and think about just us as, as broken or as self-centered, we might say, human beings. There are really, I think, oftentimes two filters that we process the reality of listening through. Uh, you may not totally agree with me, but I think this is a pretty good summation of how we process listening. The first is, I'll listen if what you're going to say is useful to me, right? That's the first filter we process through. Is this useful to me? And there's all kinds of uh, add-ons to that. Is useful to me at this moment, in this season of life, whatever. Uh, and, and there are many reasons things aren't useful to us. One, just quite frankly, it's boring. We're not interested in what you have to say. Two, I've got other things I need to do or would rather do at the moment. So we're processing things through, is this useful to me? And it causes us to really be disinterested, if not um, disengaged listeners. Or secondarily, maybe this is more so your case, is that we struggle to be good listeners because we are convinced that we are called upon to be the solution to what we hear. And there's two ways this happens, right? There's the aggressive way that says, I'm the fixer right? Some of you are like, I'm raising my hand because that's me, right? I'm immediately ready to fix whatever is going on. And so I'm not necessarily listening. I'm waiting for an opportunity to jump in so I can fix, right? Or maybe it's not the aggressive, maybe it's the passive, but you are convinced that the whole purpose of this reality is for you to need to be the solution to it. So rather than engaging and actually listening to someone you are processing how you're going to respond. 
And so all that's going on is you figuring out how am I going to respond. And some of that is based on fear. Oh, what would they say if I don't have the right answer? What am I going to do? This is going to be embarrassing. It's going to look bad for me. Nothing's going to go well. Or based in, you know, a more reality of I need to prove myself in this moment. And all of these things, I would suggest to you, can all be distilled down to one reality that makes us struggle at listening. And the thing is that we just, at our core, are selfish people. We're prideful people. The world for us, as much as we would rather it not, or as much as we would rather it would, revolves around us. And so we engage in listening when it serves us well. Well, Jesus has something to say about pride. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2. This is what theologians would call a locus classico, a classic location for this kind of discussion. Does it speak specifically about listening? No. But it does get to the core of the reality of what it means to live in humility rather than to live in pride. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, this is what Paul writes to the church at Philippi. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, this is an incredibly difficult thing to process. Do nothing out of selfish ambition? Yeah, well, that's the goal. We understand that we're broken people. And so Paul, through the counsel of Christ, is calling us away from a world that revolves around ourselves and towards a, a world view that is categorized by what he calls humility or what he later explains to mean valuing others equal to ourselves, love one another, love your neighbor as yourself, or Paul even takes it a little step further here, value them more than yourself, a world that revolves around we rather than a world that revolves around me. And so we say, well, that's a wonderful thing to aim for, but how on earth do we get after it? And this is what Paul says in verse 5. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ, who by his very nature is the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, he does not use this in order to gain things for himself, a selfish ambition, me worldview, but instead has a we, we worldview and serves others in an incredible way. We call it the gospel, that he would lay down his life for the world while we were still enemies, while we were still 
sinners, not because we were this beautiful thing, right? We were broken and living uh, in rebellion and, and, and enemies of God. And Jesus pursues us and lays himself down for us. And Paul says, if you want to be the kind of people that God has created us to be, then there has to be some kind of gospel-based transformation that happens in you, that the mind of Christ kind of comes to dwell. And Paul loves this language about the mind of Christ. And I would suggest to you there are two things going on here for Paul. The first is he's saying there's going to have to be some supernatural transformation, right? The mind of Christ descending to you, having the mindset of Christ. There's this transformation that happens where we understand that Christ didn't just die for us, that he came for us and in coming for us, died for us so that he could transform us. Does that make sense? That it's, this, his death on the cross is not just sort of a, an out there theological thing that we have to believe to get in, but it's the high point of his whole uh, redemptive journey that came for us to, to, to renew us, to rescue us, and to transform us. That's why earlier in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says that you have the same spirit. It's the spirit of God that Christ promises to us that is the one doing the transforming work in us. That is that if you have truly believed that Jesus is who he says he is and has done what he says he's done, then the spirit of God is transforming you from the inside out. And a big part of that transformation is moving from a me-centered worldview to a we-centered worldview. Moving from loving self to loving neighbor as yourself. But it doesn't just end there, because Paul, rightfully, Jesus did the same thing, calls us by our own effort and will to participate with God in the transformation he's doing in our heart. That is, that certainly the Spirit is transforming us and changing us, but also we are called to follow Jesus and to live as Jesus lived for us. That we are to be people who are motivated or persuaded or compelled by Christ's love for us into loving God and loving others. And that's why Paul shows us that Jesus didn't just die for us by coming for us. He also, in coming for us, served us. Right? He made himself out to be a servant, it says. That love for others seeks to serve others. Now, it certainly doesn't say in here that Jesus, one of the ways that he served us is that he listened to us. But I would, would like you to agree with me that one of the ways that Jesus served, served and continues to serve us is that he listens to us. That he listens to us in all kinds of different ways. That he's listened to all kinds of different people. And that part of being transformed is we're being transformed into people who are willing to engage and willing 
to listen and willing to listen to various different kinds of people from various different kinds of perspectives. And so I know some of the things you're saying. Well, he didn't have to listen to some of the crazy political rhetoric that we have to listen to today, right? Uh, And I will acknowledge that there's crazy political rhetoric, but I would suggest to you that yes, he did. In fact, it was James and John's own mother who was coming to him with some crazy political theories that those two, her boys, should sit at his right and left side in the new kingdom that he was being established, right? And he listens, and and then after listening, engages with her. Yeah, but he didn't have to listen to, like, crazy family members who every time we get together are talking about these weird things. Well, yes, he did right? It was his own family members who didn't even believe or agree with anything that he had to say. And it was his own disciples who he would listen to their disbelief for over three years before they finally started to get it right. Well, he didn't have to listen to this person over here who's just very needy and has so many needs. And I would say, well, that's pretty much the gospel's. Jesus listening to people with significant needs. Jesus in the Gospels demonstrates to us a balanced life, but as part of a balanced life, what it means to serve others by listening to them. Think of what it must have meant to be a person in Galilee or Judea or Jerusalem or Samaria at the time and have this Rabbi, come and listen to you. It must have been incredibly affirming. And in many ways, I would suggest to you, gave Jesus the platform to respond with the words of God that found receptive ears that they may not otherwise have found. And so I think there's this transformation that happens when the gospel comes to bear on us, when the Spirit does His work of transforming us from selfish-oriented people to more and more humble-oriented people. When we, by our will, agree and make effort to cooperate, we begin to see the transformation happen that we are no longer assessing the communication of other people based on whether or not it is useful to us but we are now receiving it on the basis that you are valuable to me. This is a gospel transformation. And we are no longer processing the communication of others on the basis that I need to be the solution, but instead that Jesus is the only hope. And this is gospel transformation, I think, that pushes us to be people who listen And listen well. So as we finish up, I want to give you three things that I think are characteristics or traits of good listening. Now, there are probably many, many more, but three for the sake of our time this morning. The first is that good listening always affirms the humanity of other people. We sometimes forget that we are all human beings created in the image of God, that God loves us with the same passion and the same amount of love. That good listening actually values and affirms the humanity of all people. 
Think of what it must have been like for the bleeding woman who was an outcast of society when instead of just letting her touch him and be healed, Jesus stopped to hear her story. Or the Samaritan woman by the well who Jesus would listen to. Or the blind beggar named Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10 when Jesus stopped to hear his story. Think of what it must have been like for them. The affirmation, the valuing of their humanity. And you might say, okay, well, so we're valuing the needy people. No, even the societal elites, think of what it must have felt like to be Nicodemus. A high-valued person of society with all kinds of questions and difficulties to come and for Jesus to hear him and on the basis of hearing, respond. When we listen, we affirm the humanity of those around us. I have a friend who has worked in student-based ministry for a number of years, uh, first with middle and high schoolers and then on campus in various colleges uh, in, in and throughout Pennsylvania. And he tells a story of a student who he did not know all that well, but who he had met uh, sometimes through his ministry on campus who was applying to grad school at an incredibly prestigious university, Duke University Grad School, big time. And he had to write an essay as part of his um, application to grad school at Duke University. And the essay was to write about someone who was deeply meaningful to you. Did you know this person wrote about my friend Scott? And when he was telling him this in passing, Scott said, well, why would you write about me? And he said to Scott, because you listened to me. And Scott said, well, I don't. And he said, no, there were times where you stopped and you listened to me, and it changed me in a profound way. Now, I know Scott, and Scott's an incredible listener, and so I can only imagine that it happened this way. But can you imagine someone who was not a key leader in his ministry, someone who he had not poured hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours into discipling, but this person who was deeply affected simply because he stopped to listen. Now you tell me, if Scott had something to share to him, whether he would return the same courtesy. When we listen to someone, we affirm their humanity. What would it mean to make eye contact with people? To have open posture in receiving them? To not multitask when we're listening. I'm like, like, if I could raise fingers and toes and whatever, I'm a massive multitasker. That's what I say to Rachel. I'm still listening. I'm two rooms away, right? Doing something else. When we do those things, we're purposely stepping in to hear what someone is saying. And more important than what they're actually saying is affirming that as a human being, they carry value. People have said it this way, and I think it's just the God's honest truth. They matter to God, they should matter to us. Right? No matter if it's useful to us, or whether we can be the rock star fixer in the moment. Good listening affirms the humanity of others. Second thing it does is it seeks to understand someone else's viewpoint. Now, typically, if we're just passing through by a neighbor just saying hi, we're probably not getting into a depth of conversation. 
But if you've kind of moved into a conversation that's perhaps a little bit deeper, people have all kinds of different points of view. We know this. They're motivated by all kinds of different things. Many of their motivations and points of view will be brand new to you. What would it mean to actually listen to understand instead of from the beginning forming assumptions about where they're headed or why they're headed there? Proverbs chapter 18 verse 2 says that the fool has no interest in understanding. He only has a desire to air his own opinions. The gospel changes us. I need to say something in the moment, right? Listening to understand is not equal to condoning or agreeing. It is equal to loving. Many times as Christians, we carry the weight of, well, I have to, I have to let them at least know I don't agree with this, right? Because, I, well, there's time for that, but listening to understand and valuing them enough as a human being to hear where they're coming from, to hear their hopes and dreams actually gives us that much more opportunity to find the real intersections of the gospel in their life rather than the ones we assume might actually be there. And you'll be amazed at what happens when you pause to listen to understand. What would it mean to ask clarifying questions? To empathize rather than to relay a story of your own life that was just like that. To pause from redirecting the conversation towards yourself and instead let them be fully heard. Loving your neighbor means listening. And good listening, I think, is about valuing humanity and seeking to understand. And then lastly, I think that good listening readies us to speak well. I said before that I'm not against speaking. I think we should all be ready to speak. <laughs> speaking is good and speaking is important. We're not called to eternal muteness, right? But we are called to be people who Listen, and I think the truth in this is right, that sometimes listening is the only call that God has on us in a moment. Sometimes what he's calling us to do in a situation is simply to listen. Remember when Lazarus has just died and Jesus shows up on the scene, he meets Lazarus' two sisters who are close friends of his, Mary and Martha, and he responds to their grief in two very different ways. With Mary, he just listens. With Martha, he listens and then responds. Because two different situations and two different people call for two different realities. And because Jesus has listened, he can respond appropriately. But, for those of you uh, who maybe are a little more introverted and you're thinking, oh good, I never have to respond, right? The truth is not, is not always the case. Sometimes good listening leads us to respond, but to do so in an appropriate way. Because when we have actually listened and heard where someone is coming from, and the true realities that have shaped them as a human being and their current existence, we actually now are prepared to begin to engage them 
as another human being who happens to be a person of faith. Proverbs chapter 18, uh, a couple of verses later, verse 13 says that to answer without listening is foolishness. And I would suggest to you that true listening not only prepares us to respond because we've heard where someone else is coming from, it actually prepares us to respond because we've actually given space for God to speak to us. It's funny what happens when you just be quiet for a little while. Suddenly God speaks again sometimes, right? I've told you this story before. I live my whole life thinking and talking and doing all these things. And sometimes, like, when I'm mowing the lawn, like, God's talking to me. And I'm like, why? Why would I mowing the You know I hate mowing the lawn. Why do you talk to me now? And the answer I typically form in my own consciousness, could be my own answer, is because you're finally quiet. Right? That sometimes, either through what we're hearing from someone else or through the thoughts that God puts in our mind, and I would suggest to you, when you're listening to someone and they're sharing something, that is quite deeply personal, whether a political belief or a situation that's happened to them, you should, in your spirit, be praying, God, speak to me. Instead of running through your mind how you're going to quick respond. And you would be surprised how often God answers your prayer in the affirmative and gives you the words that you need to speak. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way in his little section on the ministry of listening, that we need to listen with the ears of God so we can speak the words of God. That when we make space to listen, we not only hear from someone else, but we hear from God so we're ready to be God's mouthpiece in a moment. Because the truth of the matter is, and perhaps you've heard me say this before, that people do not need good advice. Right? Can I just let you know that? We think everyone needs good advice. They do not need good advice. They need good news. And the gospel is the good news that they need. Jesus is the solution. We are not. They are valuable, not useful. And so we engage. And what would it mean to be people who are stepping into this reality of loving our neighbor by actually trying to make space to listen to them. Listen, I understand. You cannot always make space to listen to people. And there are many times that you politely but assertively need to say to someone, I apologize, but I don't have time and space now. Could we make space in another time? Or to say to someone, you know what, we've said this, we've said this, we've talked about this many, many times. How can we take this to the next level? I'm not saying you don't need to be assertive. I certainly think you do. And you certainly need to live a balanced life. But what would it mean to be people who are ready and quick to listen and slow to speak? Christians should be leading the way in this. And yet, on social media... We're just as toxic as the rest of the world. Why? Because we don't affirm the humanity of other people. We're certainly not listening to understand. And we're not listening with the ears of God to speak the words of God. We're simply offering our fix and our opinion. And Proverbs says, that's the epitome of foolishness. 
Imagine if Christians were incredible listeners. Balanced in their rhythm. They don't quit their job so they can listen to everyone else. Right? They don't like, tell their family, sorry, but Pastor Adam said, I must spend the rest of my life listening to my neighbors. Like In a balanced life, imagine if Christians were incredible listeners. The possibilities for the kingdom of God to move forward. Bonhoeffer was right when he said that somehow Christians think the only spiritual service they have to offer is speaking, when in fact listening is an incredible act of ministry. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. One of the ways that we can engage this is to listen. Can I pray with you?